Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. Happy holidays from Making the Impact. This week, we are bringing back our fan favorite Q&A with Courtney Live episodes as a special treat for you. Our Q&A with Courtney Live episodes record monthly as a bonus perk for our Platinum Premium subscribers. Each month, I sit down with a special guest IDA judge to answer all of your questions about the competitive dance world. Our Platinum Premium subscribers not only get access to these episodes, but they also get to pre-submit their questions and receive priority on the episode. We stream our Q&As live in our Facebook group when we record, so if you're a member of the Making the Impact community, you might be able to catch the live recording. But if you want to be able to listen to this later or aren't always available to tune in to the live, then be sure to join our Platinum Premium subscription, where our Q&A episodes release on the last day of every month, and they're packed with tons of informative dance details from dance professionals and judges. Interested in joining Platinum Premium and helping support our podcast for years to come? Join now for only $5 per month or $60 for the year. And new for this season, an exclusive Zoom chat with me, where you get to check in and introduce yourself, share more about your dancers, ask me personalized questions, and interact with other fans. Learn more and sign up now on our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash platinum premium. And now let's jump into our special Q&A live episode, which was recorded in November 2023 with IDA judge guest Tommy Scribbins. Hope you enjoy. Everyone, welcome to our next Q&A with Courtney live coming to you live in our Facebook community group. We're making the impact a dance competition podcast community. This is an exclusive episode being recorded for our platinum premium subscribers and to all of our Facebook community who are tuning in live. I hope you enjoy our chat that we're going to have today. We do these every single month in our Facebook group. And our subscribers get to tune in and listen back. So really fun stuff we're doing over here and making the impact. We love doing the Q&As. And I always love sitting down and talking with a new IDA judge each month. I hope everyone's having a wonderful season. It is nice and cold over here in New York City. That's where I'm tuning in from. And it is super Christmassy. The Rockefeller Christmas tree just went up yesterday. And actually, I'm heading to my, my town in Queens called Astoria. Our Christmas tree is going up tonight. So I am going to go see that Christmas tree and get into the holiday spirit. I'm so excited and I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with their friends and family. And we are in full swing over here with online critiques. I think that everyone's solos are getting prepped and ready and groups are getting prepped and ready to hit the stage. So if you have your dance in rehearsal mode or if you have attended a competition or convention already this season and you want to get even more feedback before 2024, Send your dance to us for an IDA online critique. Critiques start at only $35. You can request a specialized judge for it. You can also do 24-hour rush delivery with quick turnaround time if you need that critique back ASAP. You can learn more on our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash online critiques. All right, everybody, it's time to bring in our special guest IDA judge who is joining us today on this episode. They have been a previous podcast guest. They've also been on the IDA roster for many, many years. I've had the pleasure of judging alongside them, dancing alongside them in New York City. They are so talented and also a fantastic dance educator where you can take their their class at Steps on Broadway. 
Some of their previous episodes on Making the Impact includes Season 2, Episode 52, The Importance of Musicality, one of my favorite topics, and last season, Season 4, Episode 140, Appropriateness of Choreography in Competitive Dance. Such a hot topic. It was a great episode. Go listen. I'm excited to welcome back Tommy Scrivens to the podcast. Welcome, Tommy. Hi. How's it going? (laughs) It's going. How are you doing? I am very good. Just enjoying (laughs) being inside and out from that cold weather because it is freezing. I feel like in like in a week's time, it just became winter in New York City, like 35 degrees. Literally. Winter coats are out, beanies are on, like it sweatshirts, twenty even inside. Like my radiators have barely kicked in yet in my apartment. Yeah. Well, Tommy, thanks for uh joining us on the QA. It's my first time having you on the QA live. Oh, this is kind of fun. I love it. Yeah, it's different because you know, in, in regular podcast, we can kind of just like sit back and know that no one's watching, but now like cameras are on and here we are, and there's some friends that are watching us on the live. So <laughs> hi everybody out there. <laughs> Hope you enjoy our chat. And Tommy, if you wouldn't mind, just for some of our uh, new fans and new listeners and all of our Platinum Premium subscribers, just do a quick little reminder of who you are, where you live, what your career has been like, and what you're working on now. I am. I live in New York. I'm in Brooklyn currently in my apartment. My puppy just went to sleep. I currently am a professor at Marymount and the musical theater department. In the past, I was in Parsons Dance, which is a modern dance company. I'm also currently a protege with the Vernon Fosse Legacy. So I am fortunate enough to be able to teach that material. I'm also a uh, legacy teacher for American Dance Machine, which is a musical theater-based uh, company. But uh, basically, I do a little bit of everything. Yay. You yeah. really do. And you've you've been on a lot of different sides of the industry and now yes. also you know, as a competitive teacher, as now a professor, as a professional dancer yourself, as a dance educator, and being immersed in the concert dance company world, as well as the musical theater scene. I mean, I think it's that's what's so exciting about so many of the guests that we have on the podcast is that sometimes they're not just coming from one avenue or one world of the dance world. And there's so many, you know, ways your career could take you. So Especially New York, because like we think of New York, New York City as like Broadway, musical theater, but there is a lot more to New York so dance scene. So love having, always love having you here and excited to answer some questions. I'm going to say hey to a Facebook user and I can't see your name on my back end, but they are coming to us and tuning in from San Diego. So hello out there. And to all of our new friends who are joining in, if you have a question, say hi and type your question into the comments below. We're going to get kick things off with a few pre-submitted questions from our Platinum Premium subscribers. Are you ready to go, Tommy? I am very ready. All right, let's do it. I'm going to read it to you because I can't pop it up on the screen, but we're going to start with this one. It's coming from a dance parent and a Platinum Premium member. They said, this is my seven-year-old daughter's first year doing a solo, and it's a beautiful lyrical routine. Recently, I overheard a conversation from someone whose child was the same age as mine. That when asking their dance teacher to switch to a lyrical routine next year, the dancer responded with, there are so many lyrical and contemporary routines, and that she should stick to her style that she's doing because she will stand out more. This to me was something I didn't want to hear as my daughter does lyrical. 
Should my daughter stick with the lyrical dance that she's good at or go with the showy jazz musical theater solo next year? Mm. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts. Well, that other person was not wrong. It is the category is saturated with lyrical and contemporary dances. It's what we see mostly as judges. But for me personally, I don't, it doesn't matter which mm. category you put yourself in and it's whatever you feel best in. It's you shouldn't shift what you're doing based off of what you think someone's going to like, because that's never going to work in your favor. If your mm. daughter wants to work in lyrical, then let her do lyrical. She loves it. That's where she's going to be at her best. I mean, if she's a tap dancer, you're not going to all of a sudden put her in contemporary because you feel like you should. Right. You Just because everyone's it. doing it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. I mean, first thought. I said that's my initial first thought really is just yeah. to, to cut out the noise of other people and to stick to to what you are staying in your own lane. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that the hard part about competitive dance is just the pressure of trying to, you know, compete with others and stay on trend essentially. And just because there is a ton of lyrical and contemporary dances, that is true. I actually feel like and I actually, I don't know. I could be completely wrong about this. I feel like that maybe a lot of dancers connect to that style more, possibly. But at the same time, I also think that a lot of dancers might not connect to the style and feel obligated to pick that style because they think it's the most trendy or what will win, quote unquote. And like you're saying, why, why, why would that be a part of the equation when you're deciding which dance you want to Commit to in your solo. I mean, you're investing a lot of time and money to do a solo on stage. You want to showcase you as the best dancer that you can be. And if you love jazz dance and you are a dynamic jazz dancer and that fills your heart, then be a jazz dancer. If you love lyrical and you want to show your emotion and your beautiful lines on stage, and also if that's what your teachers also agree and think is your strong suit, then do it. Because if your passion for for that style and that your love in that style will shine if you're doing a style of dance that you can connect to, especially in a solo setting. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you never know. It always depends on where you're at as well and what competition you go to, whether there is more of something or not. I That's mean, true. it really does. There are some competitions where it's mainly tap. I, uh, one of the studios that I used to compete at Yes, there'd be a lot of contemporary, but the tap dancers were so strong at the studio that it was very dominating. And mm. all the tap dancers used to win pretty much almost at every single competition because it, the tap wow. dance was really just so strong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also she's only seven. I yeah. mean, you know, <laughs> there's, there's so much more. Like, sure. Let's start with lyrical. I mean, first of all, for a seven year old to get out on stage and, and not forget their routine and, and, be fearless enough to get out on stage. We've already won. That is a win exactly. already right there. So for me, I'm like, I don't care what style of dance they're doing. As long as they are having a good time and they didn't forget their dance and they actually want to be out on that stage and doing a solo by themselves because that is absolutely terrifying. Solos are scary in general. I mean, young kids are usually fearless, but if you're seven years old, like pick the style that they love. Like, I mean, that's, that's really what I want, want to say mm -hmm. to like, you know, a young dancer like that. Once we're getting into like the junior, late juniors or teens, I think that that 
you should have maybe kind of like dabbled in a little bit of every genre to get an idea of what you love and what works for you and what you excel at and what highlights you the best. And also getting the advice from your teachers too, to help them guide you and tell you, oh, you have such great style for jazz. Like, I think we should give you a jazz solo this year and being open to the change, even if you think jazz doesn't win or jazz isn't cool or whatever your reasoning might be. Like, I think, I think sometimes the, I want the studios to kind of like guide the dancers a little bit yeah. too. Cause sometimes this, like, I don't want to say that like you can't do a style if you aren't ready for it. But at the same time, like your teachers would be like, you like the vibe that you're giving me when you dance is so lyrical. I want you to stick to, I want you to really shine in this lyrical solo, like type of thing. Cause sometimes I, and I want, I want them to like that, you know, but I want the dancers to, like trust their teachers as well a little bit too, because. I don't feel like I ever had a choice growing up. My teachers would tell me what genre I was doing. I didn't get to pick what genre I was doing. I mean, I think times are changing now because every kid has a solo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do. I also, just to answer to the a thought about this question as well, is your child's so young. They're seven. Try not to as much as you can to get caught up in what they should or shouldn't be doing and stick to actually focusing on the joy of what they're doing, because that's the only way you really survive in this industry is enjoying what you do and loving what you do. That's the most important part. If we're concerned about what others are doing, then it tends to take away the fun part of it. And then what are we doing? What are we spending this money on? What are we spending this time on? Right. You know, so you really just want to focus on the joy of it and try and keep it light and simple and stay out of the drama. Yep. Stay out of the drama. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> yeah, because if uh to the dance parent, she's only seven. You have a lot. You have many more years of this beautiful dance world ahead of you. So stay. That's great advice. Stay out of the drama. <laughs> Tommy, while you were while you were saying all of that, I was admiring your shirt. Yes. Freelance doesn't mean free dance. Oh Amen. my gosh! How do I get one of these? Did you make these? Where do um, I get them? Actually, my husband. Brushwick, as in where we live, Bushwick, but Brushwick Creative. He has oh. an Etsy store, and this is one of his sweatshirts. Love it. Yes. Love it. And this goes hand in hand with our episode that just released last week, which is pay rates in the dance world. And to all of our listeners who have had a chance to listen, I hope it was informative. But to everyone that hasn't, make sure you go listen to that. Uh, we had two spectacular guests in a New York City-based dancer choreographer, Ashley Marinelli. And an LA-based uh, court, a dancer, Kayleigh-Ann Nassora, and she's a professional dancer in the commercial dance scene. But we kind of went through the whole, you know, uh, we talked about, actually, we talked about knowing your worth in the industry and, y- you know, not working for free, which, are, I mean, this is a whole, we're getting off topic a little bit, but I love your shirt. So I'm like, and, you know, that that conversation that we just had is in my brain and- it's like, yeah, yeah, you you know, you're gonna you're gonna do a few things here and there in your in your career to like create connections and quote unquote work for free. But then it gets to a point when you have to know, okay, so work with this person X amount of times and they still aren't paying me. And how many times do I continue to do this until I put my foot down and say, Hey, sorry, I'm Indeed. either not doing it anymore or you know, I gotta pay my bills, I gotta pay my rent, like I can't be donating yep. my time. <laughs> it's all about an investment. You know, you have to know what's worth your time and worth your energy and approach things as an investment. Sometimes the low paying gigs shoot you into a whole other stratosphere, but 
for the most part, you should be getting paid for the things that you do. I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, that happens way too often in, in our dance world that people just assume that we'll do things. Yeah. For free. Definitely. And that's so not it and so not cool. So not it. It's so not it. And it's a hard thing for young dancers to navigate as they're breaking yes. into the industry because it's an, it's an opportunity. I think that's what everyone, that's the excuse that everyone uses that mm-hmm. it's an opportunity and that we should be grateful. I've heard that way too many times in my career. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we're going to have to, all of our Facebook friends in our community, I will post a link to this awesome shirt if anybody wants to grab their freelance doesn't mean free dance sweatshirt. Love it. Love it. Thank you for wearing that. It's so fierce. Uh, I literally just grabbed it because it's like so comfy and I was like, oh my God, I forgot <laughs> I was wearing this. <laughs> but I love also, it. Yeah. But also, yes. <laughs> Uh, to our uh, viewers who are tuning in, hello from Port Charlotte, Florida. I hope you're enjoying it. And we have a question that has popped up into our comments that we will get to in a little bit because we have a few more com- uh, questions to tackle. But if you do have a question, shoot it on into the comments. Next up, we have a dance parent question. And their question says, how does a dancer learn how to perform? Her technique is very advanced, but she lacks performance skills. I am a dance parent with no dance experience. So a performance, uh, any performance tips that you can give? I think that like right offhand performing is probably one of the hardest parts of, uh, you know, being a dancer is adding that final layer of the performance aspect to the, the beautiful dancing and the technique and the execution. Yeah, it is tricky. It's very hard. The way that I've always thought of it, and I sometimes break it down for my dancers this way and parents. You also, it's, we all go to school. We like, we read poetry, we read Shakespeare, we do all of these things and we learn how to break down and interpret all these things in school. It's a natural thing. And you can do the exact same thing with performance. And even if you're not a dancer, dance mom, you understand lyrics, you understand things and you understand movements. And if you are able to maybe take the, the solo, break it down and think about what it might mean. That's like a good start of, you know, teaching the dancer A to understand how to interpret things on their own. B, it's great for their brain just to think that way. And it's something that connects to school and it connects to dance. And when those things come together, it's just like, boom, Mm -hmm. turns into a life skill as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, the lyrics for sure. I mean, we're, we're blending two different art forms actually more than two, multiple art, art forms mm-hmm. together um, when we as dancers are dancing to music. Someone wrote that song, someone created that song, someone performed that song. So those are all different art forms in them in itself. And the lyrics are such a huge part of probably what should be driving and, and fueling your dancing. And that right there is a story, most likely. There, mm-hmm. are, there is a story in that song. So connecting to those lyrics and just printing them out and reading them and kind of finding ways that it can help drive your story is great advice. Other thing to think about is even if, let's say, the choreography wasn't really inspired by the lyrics, then we as dancers and and as the choreographer need to create our own story to this Mm -hmm. song. It doesn't have to be so literal right to the lyrics, but you can create a beginning, middle, and end of this journey that you're taking us on in mm-hmm. your performance while you're doing a PK arabesque, while you're doing a Chennai turn, while you're doing a Calypso, whatever it is. 
there needs to be a motivation and intention behind each thing that you do. If there is an arc in the song and we decide to put a calypso there, why are we doing the calypso? Is it because it, it feels powerful and we want to, you know, connect to the music or is it because we're like releasing emotions in the story at this point? This is like the, the climax of the story that we just have to explode these emotions out and Calypso feels like it's relatable. Like, I think there just needs to be a little bit more connection as far choreographically intention wise, but then also for the dancer. If the teacher doesn't give that to you, you have to do- dig deep and create that story yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a part of the rehearsal process. It's not just yes. about practicing our turns 24 seven and making sure our transitions are seamless. If you are sla- are lacking in the performance aspect, are you even incorporating that with exercises in rehearsal? Or are you just, or is your teacher just hoping that you'll turn it on when you get to the stage? Because some dancers might, some dancers might like completely transform into a performer when they get on stage, but others might need a little bit more help. And if that's the case, then there needs to be communication being had in rehearsal during that process. Yeah, that's really, 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 really good advice. For me, always though, with performing, it's what initially drew me to dance. Not so much because as dancers, when your child decides to dance, they're not like, mommy, can I do pirouettes? Yeah. Mommy, can I do a leap? Mommy, can right. I do aerial? There's something that we hear in music that's innate and you see it in babies as well. Like when they see the music, they start bopping, they start moving. It's getting back to that as well. So maybe mm. it's also taking the time to take out the technique and improving to music and discovering your passion and love for it as well so that those two can come together again because sometimes when you spend so much time focusing on that you think that you pull the other one away and it's hard to get them back so sometimes you have to go back to those basics and go back to the original thing of that feeling and then coming back to it yeah i couldn't agree more yeah it's it's almost like you're ripping away that aspect of of the dancer and the performer inside of you if you're so overanalyzing the technique and drilling this too many times, it's like, it's going to be a hard thing to get past when the perfectionist inside all of us want to make sure that we land our triple pirouette and make sure we suspend out of our batma or whatever those corrections are that are flowing through our brain. But you almost want to just trust that those things are going to happen because you've practiced enough and you've put the work in. So you can actually just mm-hmm. let it all out and perform. It, it, it honestly has to come from the heart. Like there's, there are so many dancers that I know that you've probably judged and I've seen that like they might ha- not have the best technique. They're working on it. It's something that doesn't come as naturally and easy to them, but they were born to perform. Mm-hmm. Like it is just, and it like, oh, it gives you goosebumps. You can feel their passion from the stage. Like that's the type of performance that we want to get out of everyone. And it's like, Okay, so if we could have that dancer who has the performance and then this dancer who has the technique and put them together, I mean, it would just be a home run. Totally. So, you know, it, it is hard to, it is hard as a dancer to figure out how, how to really get that performance quality out. But even watching others too, maybe can mm-hmm. be inspiration to see, oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Like you, as a viewer, you feel something when someone is, is truly performing from the heart. Yeah. And it's true. And one of the best things that was ever told to me is that. If you see something, if you feel something, then it already exists inside of you. So the truth to that is, is if you're feeling something and seeing something by something you're inspired, it exists exists inside of you. And it's just waiting for you to pull it out, to interpret it, to do that yourself. 
it's hard sometimes, but it's also like, for me, that's like the most hopeful part of it. The fact that you can see it because if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to see it. It would be non-existent to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, there's something very hopeful in that thought. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Love it. Great, great question on performance. We have done a performance episode as well. So for all of our listeners, if you want more tips on performance at competition and how to get how to stage presence and all the things, I mean, it is a part of your score. So it is important to make sure that we're incorporating that into training as well and not just waiting till we hit the stage to try to find performance. It's a hard thing to teach, but it is something that dancers can learn and grow from throughout their years. All right, we are heading into our next two questions. And thank you to everyone who is still tuning in. If you have a question, send it over. I'm going to just keep reminding. We have one question. We're going to get to it. Don't you worry. But I'm excited for it too. But before we do, here's our next question coming from another Platinum Premium member, and they are a dance parent. I think you're going to like this one, Tommy. Their question is, I think you're going to like the next two, but the first one is, How important is singing to a dancer who wants to dance professionally? I have heard from several 20-something dancers that singing is frequently required during auditions. Yay. Singing, singing, singing. Do it. Do it (laughs) while you're young. Don't wait. It, I mean, it's only important if you are, if you want it to be, you don't, there's no requirements for anything. You just putting yourself though in a very narrow lane. And I say, the more you can learn, the better you can be. I mean, it all is part of it. I mean, in some dance companies, the concert dance work, not even talking about musical theater, I've had auditions where I've had to sing. Mm. And it's been part of what I had to do in that. And it's, it's important to know. And it's just another skill that helps you with your musicality and understanding as well. Just do it. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's your voice. It's another way of expressing yourself. The more that tools you have, the better you'll be at, at everything. It's just like you, you don't go to school and learn one subject. Mm. Why would you do that with the arts? Like learn as much as you can. Learn to sing. Learn to act. Learn. To do artwork as well. You never know and learn to play an instrument. Yes. All of those things are so helpful and so handy in any and everything, really, truly. I know I got broader than the singing, but like. No, I love it. It's, it, I'm so glad it really is. It really is. I, I said that exact same thing actually. I was just teaching this past weekend musical theater and jazz at Francisco Gella's Seattle Dance Advance Intensive in Seattle over the holiday weekend. Those kids tore it. I, I know they are. Oh my gosh. They were so fierce. I mean, that truly blew up it was my feed in the best <laughs> way. I was like, I was, was like, whoa, <laughs> what's that? Excellent. Sorry. No, it was so good. Actually, you're, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I actually had, we, before I teach musical theater, I usually just like to get an idea as to make sure dancers understand, like, what even is this genre and what does this mean? And, what are some, you know, parts of the genre, which to me, I think of musical theater dance, inclu- like singing is a part of musical theater. Like theater jazz is is a style in itself that feels Broadway inspired and stylized in a jazz way where we might be dancing to like music from musicals and things. But like when someone says the word musical theater, to me, that's singing, dancing, acting. Mm-hmm. That It's not just dance. So I always like to remind dancers that before we start class. And I don't expect dancers to sing in my class. So people are like, oh, my God, are we going to sing today? And I'm like, 
No. No. But (laughs) I want you to just know that, like, if you want to be on Broadway, you have to know how to sing. And you don't have to be great, but you have to know how to carry a tune. You have to know, like, what note you're singing. You have to know how long you're holding the note for, when to cut the note off. I mean, those, it seems simple, but it's not, especially if you've not. If you've never played an instrument, if you've never looked at sheet music before, if you've never sang in chorus, this is going to be extremely hard for you to wrap your head around because you think as a dancer, oh, you understand music, but half the dancers these days don't even count their music. So to be able to transition and translate dance to music and singing, it's going to be extremely hard if, if they have absolutely zero knowledge of music theory. I mean, and they can go even deeper of no, not counting, but then also not taking tap because that's going to teach you a little bit of the music theory and their, you know, all of that to, to tie into your singing. So if they're not doing either of those things, it's, you know, you're, you're digging yourself into a deeper hole where it's going to be even harder for you to, to figure out later yeah. in life. Hey, listeners, are you loving this Q&A episode? Want to tune in to more Q&As each and every month? Then make sure that you join our Platinum Premium Podcast subscription for the diehard Making the Impact fans. By joining our member-only subscription, you will help support our podcast for many more years to come. Subscribers receive free Making the Impact stickers, shout-outs live on the air, ad-free listening for all of Season 4 and 5, a discounted online critique from me, and exclusive access to our Q&A episodes launching every month. And new for Platinum Premium subscribers this season, we will be doing a seasonal Zoom check-in chat with me. You'll get to join in on an interactive panel discussion with other subscribers to meet fans from around the world, share more about your dancer's journey, and ask me personalized questions throughout the competition season. Join Platinum Premium now for only $5 per month or $60 for the year by visiting our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash platinum premium or click the link in our show notes. There's so many times where, and things are done so quickly now, things are not done in a way where we have all this time to get nurtured in these professional settings, and that's just not the case anymore. They, You move very quickly, and if I hadn't had some of the music theory that I had, I always say I wish I had done a lot more, but luckily I had done enough, and I was quick with it enough that I, I can't sight read. But I know how to read the notes on the page and I know how yeah. long to hold. And if I didn't Me know too. how to do that, I would be absolutely lost. Yep. I'd yep. be absolutely lost because it's done so quickly. I mean, think about like as I, and I don't know if you've been there, Tommy, but I know that like me walking into my very first musical ever, obviously like to to get the job, I had to sing a song at the audition. They're not going to hire me without hearing my voice. It's nope. a musical. <laughs> So, you know, it's part of the gig. You could be the fiercest dancer in the world, but mm-hmm. you still have to get through that singing audition. Yes, Even you do. if they, they are, they might already know behind the table. I don't expect them to sing while I'm hiring them for their dancing, but this is still part of the audition. And I, that could have been my situation, but I know for a fact that when they hand you sheet music at your audition, at your rehearsal, like day one of rehearsal is usually always like a sing through of the show. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm looking at the sheet music. I don't know how to read these notes. I have to hear them and then I can try to sing them back. And like, but I, I can't sight read. 
I know, like, thank, thankful to playing the clarinet growing up, I learned what a whole note is, what a rest looks like, what a half note is, and those types of things. And then you can make notes on your sheet. But like, like you said, can you imagine walking into that completely clueless as a dancer where you've never even really seen sheet music before? You don't want to be walking into your uh, job like that. You want to feel prepared and confident. And if you know that you're going in for a job that requires this skill, then you have to make sure you put some time in to learning that skill before the job. <laughs> like There yeah. are very lucky people out there who book Broadway by singing Happy Birthday and have never sung a day in their life. That exists and we know who those people are. But that's not everyone. That's like a ba- barely a one percentile of the dance world. So I always tell dancers, at a minimum, if you have chorus or choir at your school, you should be taking yep. it until the, the day you graduate. That's where I learned. I, I didn't so do helpful. that. It was so helpful. You, you did. You did take it. Yes. I, I, I was in high school. That was where I learned a little bit of music theory. I thought it was dumb. And I was like, oh, where's the time? Why mm-hmm. do I just need to? And then I was like, oh, thank God I did that. I really lucked out. Yeah. I really lucked out. And I, I'm, I'm a big advocate for, for speaking about it because I have played catch up my whole career. So Mm -hmm. like, I feel like that I would have been booking jobs way sooner if I had a little bit more understanding of singing and music. And I had taken chorus in school and not been a stubborn high schooler that didn't think I needed it. And I could have learned how to harmonize with other people and sing in a group ensemble. Like that's all you're going to be doing as a dancer in a Broadway show is singing in an ensemble. But sometimes you have to harmonize and hold your harmony. And you, and that is a skill that is very hard yes, to do. It it's is not just about singing the melody all the time. It's about mm-hmm. knowing your line and, and singing it. And then also dancing at the same time. It's, it's a lot. So Take what you said. Lessons. Take those lessons, y'all. Like it doesn't, I I don't think it needs to be private lessons on the daily, but at a minimum, it needs to be, if you have, if you have chorus or choir at your school, you need to be in it. Like mom, mom, tell your kid, sorry, if you want to be a dancer, I'm requiring you to participate in that or invest even the instrument talk too. I think that is extremely Mm -hmm. helpful. Even though they're not learning how to use their voice in that, they're learning music theory. They're learning that aspect that can translate easier into singing. So learn how to sing, y'all. It's important. (laughs) 100%. All right. We're at our final question from our pre-submitted Platinum Premium members. And this one is coming from a dance dad, actually, who is a Platinum Premium subscriber, Jamie. And their question is, when it comes to costuming, are you seeing it being more pushing the envelope? Or do you feel costuming is more age appropriate? (laughs) Lord. Good question for Tommy. (laughs) it's i i don't for me i it's just oh god there's so many things to say to this and it also it's funny it has to do exactly what you were saying before about the high cut leotards it's it's not that i even mind that it's just that there's this expectation of everyone that they feel like they have to do this in order to win or that's i i don't i'm not interested in that ever when i'm judging of seeing this idea of what we think somebody wants to see what i want to see is a costume that helps push the choreography where it needs to be that tells the story a little bit more and that could be all the diamonds and crystals in the world or that could be something from walmart (laughs) yeah 
one is not better than the other. It's a matter of it making sense and it pushing the story further. We yeah. all have different personalities. There's all different types of things. And yes, it is competition. It is about presentation. But the presentation doesn't have to be sparkling and on trend on what everyone else is doing. I don't think that's necessary. I, I, it's It takes away from what the actual thing that's actually happening sometimes. So yeah. And I think the trend is, yes, going more towards that. I, and and I'm, I want to know who told everyone. I want to know who this person is. I want to know who these people are hearing these things from, that that's what we want to see, that that's yeah. what is necessary. I want to know who that person is. I want to meet them and say, right. I didn't say that. I think that it's because some people have pushed the boundaries a little with costuming. Yeah. And then those kids somehow also are equally very talented. So then they win. And then people think, well, I need to wear nothing if I want to win. And one of the costumes that comes to mind, thinking about something that feels like it's pushing the envelope, and it might seem innocent to the dancers who wear it. But to me, I always, it always makes my head go like this when I see it. So as we know, pretty much no one, no one wears tights anymore. And most of the time, everyone's in some type of leotard, a bottom. There's a lot of costume designers now that are making costuming with like sheer mesh skin tone paneling. And, and to take that one step further, even the briefs, sometimes the briefs will have like on the sides of the hip where the hip bone is, there will be like a panel of tan and it to like where the hip is to like cut off between the stomach and the leg and to make it look like it's like sheer in their skin, but it's not, but it lo- it's supposed to look like that. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, so that kid isn't wearing underwear. Like, to me, that's what it's, that's what I think. Exactly. And that's why my head immediately went down, because that's how I feel when I'm watching it half the time. I'm like, this doesn't feel like this is appropriate for what I should be seeing. And it feels weird. Yeah. Watching this. I don't understand. Like, why why do we need, what's the purpose? Right. What is the purpose besides the fact that you want me to think that that this dancer isn't, doesn't have any underwear on you? Because- you can't wear underwear if there's a, a sheer panel right there that would show the strap of the underwear going across. So like it to me, it's, it, it doesn't serve a purpose besides it being risque and you're 10. Exactly. Like, and <laughs> like, I don't care I, if you're 17. Right. And it, exactly. Like, it, so like that's something that comes to mind for me that I just find always a little bit bizarre. Also, the ones that are like tan like bases and then they just have appliques covering their like private areas like barely covered you know it's like technically they are covered if you look at it it is a full full leotard but it's supposed to resemble them being naked with appliques covering their chest and covering their like the lower half of their body and i'm just like who designed this for a child i i don't really understand it it's it's very interesting to me and not going to lie, like, I think that there are a lot of beautiful costumes out there. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, wearing a leotard. I love a leotard. I think leotards are beautiful. I love a low-back leotard, a, a halter leotard, backless leotard. They're stunning on a lot of dancers. But when we're adding some of these elements that is almost feels, like, very adult-like, but it's a dance costume. And I don't even think that people see it that way. But me as a judge, sometimes I'm like, couldn't we, like, add a little bit more, you know, colored yeah. fabric here and there? <laughs> And I just don't understand how it has anything to do with the storyline of what you're right. actually doing. Right. That's all part of it. It's, it's, if you're doing something that's super athletic, then it makes sense to me. 
and it's right. about the athleticism more so than the story, then I get it. But otherwise, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very much with you, and especially on your end. And we've we definitely talked about this in the episode that you were on last year, appropriateness and choreography, because yeah. costuming is a part of choreography, and in a way, and like you said, it needs to drive the the story. But oftentimes, I think that we're just trying to keep up with the trend and see something flashy and cool. But also, is it appropriate in in a lot of ways? And c- how can we make this appropriate? A little, like, I mean, is everyone okay with what they're wearing? Is mom and dad okay with it? Is dad okay with it? Because you as a male, a male identifying um, judge, like you said, you have to turn your head down. I mean, that's the last thing you want a judge to be doing is not watching your dance because of what they're wearing. Yeah. And if things are inappropriate, I mean, it's just really hard. It's just like seeing things that are actually inappropriate. And believe me, I... I know the difference between, yeah. and I can see it, and it's really uncomfortable when I can see it in the dancer's face that they're uncomfortable. You can't really lie. The yeah. body does not lie. Your language, mm-hmm. the way that you're moving in it, and also the youthfulness that's in you, I can tell you don't know what you're wearing. And so mm-hmm. that also makes me really uncomfortable when I see younger kids and things that like, and moves and things that I'm like, they don't know what they're doing. And I can tell that they don't. They, there's no difference in drawing with a crayon than the movement that they're doing. But I know what you thought when you did it, when mm-hmm. you put this on the child. Right. And that's very uncomfortable. It is. You it is remember, as the adult in that. You can't just always put your perspective and your thoughts. You have to remember that it's not about you. It's about the child and yeah. their experience and what they are communicating and what comes from them, not necessarily what comes from you. And what yeah. you want and what you think. Right. That's because part of our jobs. There's a way to achieve that for everyone. There is a way to make you have, like you as the choreographer, your artistic vision come to life and you satisfied with what you're producing and, do- and putting out there and also making the child comfortable and happy at the same time. That like there is a way, there might need to be some compromising happening, maybe on the choreographer and adult end to say, I really want them in this costume, but they're telling me they're not really comfortable. How can I make them comfortable in this costume? What if we add this to the costume? Maybe this will make them feel a little bit self, like self-conscious, less self-conscious about it. Boom. Happy compromise. You still got your vision. Dancer feels confident. They're going to dance better. Like yep. there needs to be more of that versus this is your costume. Wear it. Because like you said, we can tell if a dancer is comfortable or not. And. That's one of the most important things for me. And that's something I always say, especially when I go guest choreograph, because oftentimes I never even see the costume that goes, that hits the stage mm-hmm. when I go to do guest choreo. But one of the things that everyone's always like, do you have a vision? What's your vision? I'll give them some ideas. But like a, my final sentence is, I just want them to be in something that they're comfortable in. I want them to like their costume. I want them to feel secure in their costume. I don't want them to feel like they're pressured into wearing something that doesn't fit them properly or doesn't flatter them properly or they don't feel great in. Like, especially for solos, but groups as well. needs to, that need, that same approach needs to be happening. And on the same note, but slightly off of it, as a judge, personally, the costume is, it's not my main focus because I also try and keep it an even playing field because not everybody can buy an $800 costume. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that to take away from this child that is dancing so well and so yeah, the costume is important, but it's not as important to me as what the dancer is doing and what's coming out of it. So yes, if you can afford that and that's what you want to do and you want to feel special, great. But it's also yeah, 
that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not an expert in leotards and swastikas. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're not a fashion designer expert. You're not a co- Broadway costume designer judging judging the the quality of the costume. <laughs> Presentation. Yes, we can judge that. We all have an eye for what is aesthetically pleasing on stage. Don't have a hole. Make sure things are sewed up properly. Make sure Mm -hmm. things fit you properly. That's presentation. But as far as the design and how much money was put into it and how many bedazzled rhinestones there are, that's really the last thing on our minds. (laughs) Wow. Love the costume chat. This was a great question. Thanks for answering that. Mm -hmm. We have 10 minutes left and two questions in. So this, I'm going to try to tackle both of them if you're cool with that, Tommy. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And those will be all of the questions that we have for this episode. So let's pop up this first question. And it says, my daughter is 10 and wants to be on Broadway one day. She's tackling a Fosse-inspired routine, Bye Bye Blackbird. Any tips for doing Fosse for the first time? It's very stylistic and not trick-heavy. She says she loves it so far. I feel like I have to set comp expectations. I feel like I have set comp expectations. Any suggestions? This is a great question for uh, the Fosse master over here, Tommy Scrivens. Let, let, Let it be about the style. Don't worry about any of the other things. Anybody that knows anything about the style will know exactly 100% what you're going for. And it's not about the bells and whistles. It never is with that style in particular. So. Don't stress, let the child enjoy it. But also know, I'm going to be completely honest, 10 is very, very young to be Hmm. trying to tackle that style. It is something that is a more mature thing. And it's something that's also said through the legacy as well, that our classes are not ever, we don't ever do younger students because it is something that you have to have a level of maturity to have Hmm. and to understand and do all the things. But awesome finding the joy being inspired by things i love that that's that's what it's all about and that's such a iconic great song yeah to be like introduced into the falsy world mm-hmm. with it has so many great accents and and throughout the music that a dancer can connect to so i am relieved to hear that it's not trick heavy because exactly. how many bye bye blackbirds have we seen that are nothing but aerials and million pirouettes and flips and all the things And especially if it's going into the musical theater category, and then all of us on the judging panel are sitting here like, Fosse would never. Fosse would never. So (laughs) what's going on? (laughs) But I agree. I'm glad you mentioned that because I I kind of, I just read that she's 10, but that kind of went in one ear and out the other. So I'm really glad that you brought that up that not to discourage, discourage at all. No, but I I do agree in, in a way. I'm excited that she's getting introduced to the style. Do I think that, you know, Fosse at 10 is, is hard to achieve? I do. I, I think, especially if you're doing true Fosse. I mean, we can do like a little like Fosse walk and a little hinge here and there and some like broken jazz hands, but it is a very stylistic type of, of movement. And you almost have to like really have a, a very, very strong understanding of jazz dance to then be able to like break those shapes in the very obscure Fosse way, mm-hmm. which you have studied for so long, Tommy. That's true. You have to have a very strong technique base that's so strong that you can veer off of that mm-hmm. in order to achieve that look and style. But it's also an interpretation. Don't So live your life. Have fun yeah. with it. Don't get too crazy with all of that. But just try and keep the spirit of it light and fun and 
take look at clips of Bye Bye Blackbird online and use that as inspiration. Yeah. You'll see what the energy of it is. And instead of trying to mimic it exactly, try and mimic the feeling, the essence of it. Yeah. And I think that's like, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about like, if the style is is being showcased properly within the solo and being executed properly, the judges will all know what you're going for and and like applaud you for doing that where mm-hmm. the tricks aren't needed at that point, because we now know, wow, you've decided to devote time into learning a new style versus working on your tricks 24-7. You probably can still do the tricks. That's great. But this solo today is about this style and being introduced to this way of moving for musical theater and Broadway, which is different than maybe contemporary, which is different than lyrical, which is different than even a standard jazz. So- mm-hmm. That's really, the judges will appreciate that. And like you, said, like, the, like you said, Tommy, the style is the most important. Style, style, style. Study it, research it, embrace it. Because it's not about how high the leg is sometimes and how many turns. It's about, are you activating your core here? Are you using your contraction? Are you inverting that foot? Is the hand line correct? Like those details matter in, in, in a more stylized jazz, falsy inspired dance. Totally. Love that question. All right. Final question from one of our Facebook viewers who is tuning in. They say, how do you feel about the oldies but goodies? We all love some Whitney and some Celine, but how do you feel about hearing the songs over and over again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy that the classics are coming back. I don't mind that the stuff that I've grown up in, I just, me personally, it's the newer stuff that I hear over and over again that bothers me a little bit more mm-hmm. when I hear, I won't name any names because I don't want anyone to be upset if they're doing it and feel like they shouldn't. But that bothers me more than hearing the oldies but goodies. Yeah. Because it's really great music. But when I see people doing the same songs because, oh, this is a great contemporary song. Oh, I saw somebody win with the song. That's the kind of stuff that bothers me because and you know that's what it is because you'll see mm-hmm. it like five times mm-hmm. in the competition there's certain songs that like you know you're going to hear at least three or four times that day mm-hmm. that's the only thing that really bothers me yeah i actually agree completely with you i personally will never get sick of hearing some whitney and some celine and i will say though i mean those are powerhouse songs yep you got to live up to that. Like, you got to be ready for that. It's not just putting it on because we as judges like it. It's you have to be at a certain level to be able to actually execute to the level of the song. Because, to the power behind the music. Yes, exactly. So, and, and like something I always say, I mean, this shouldn't, this shouldn't steer how music selection is selected. However, think about who's sitting on that panel. We're, I mean, I'm old now. Not old, but I mean, I'm in my 30s, so that makes it, what kind of music did I grow up listening to? 90s music, early 2000s music, late 2000s music. Like, when an R&B song hits the stage, I am excited because like, it like <laughs> it takes me back to my childhood. And I think that, like, that's the very first thing that you hear before dancing usually even starts is the little, you know, the song starting or the intro of the song. And if it's a song where it makes the judges kind of be like, whoa, what is this? Oh, wow, that's that jam. Like, it takes us back to our childhood. And it might be a jam that we love that we forgot about. Like, I'm not saying that that we need to have nothing but throwbacks hitting the stage. 
You know, it's not just about pleasing the judges. You have to be, as a choreographer, you have to be inspired. It has to, you know, your kids have to like it. But at the same time, like you said, there are literally stereotypical competition songs that don't even exist in the real world. Yeah. I don't hear them. I don't hear them anywhere else except at dance competitions. And you hear them on repeat at dance competitions. And I'm like, how, who, is there like a playlist or something that everyone's just using the same? Oh, that's mm-hmm. a song I should be using. Like, there is so much music out there, everybody. Find so a much. new song. <laughs> like, if you have heard the song at competition, I'm not saying you can't use it, but like, I don't know. Choose something else. Pick something else. Like, yeah, it's. Because everyone is always trying to find a way to like, the more you find your, your place of like finding music that like speaks to you versus what you think is speaking to us, it's, it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Like one of the very first things that we we're talking about, do not try and jump into our brains. We, we're here to watch you, to see you. We want to see what you have. I know what I've got. Courtney knows what she's got. We want to see what you've got. And that means choosing music that's appropriate for you, choosing costumes that are appropriate for you, choosing things that are, that's going to make you shine. Yes, four pirouettes is four pirouettes, period. But how I do four pirouettes and how Courtney does four pirouettes when we're performing are two totally different things. And the stronger I'm Tommy and the stronger she's Courtney, the more you're going to stand out on stage, period. What a way to end our Q&A with some great advice from... Mr. Tommy Scrivens himself. Wow, that is, I loved that. That was awesome. Can't make to, can't wait to make a little clip of that one. <laughs> Tommy, this was so much fun. I love chatting dance with you and appreciate you squeezing this into your very busy day that you've had so far today that you told me about. And I'm sure your day's not over yet. It's only nope, 3 I'm about to go actually visit Miranda Davis. Oh my gosh, amazing. Please send our love. I loved having her on the episode and um, she's teaching at Pace this year. Is that she right? She is, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, those kids are so talented down yes. there. Oh my gosh. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Tommy. And if uh to all of our listeners out there, Tommy, where can they follow you on Instagram? Tommy Seven is my handle. That's where all I'm right. at, friends. And are you teaching any upcoming classes anytime soon? Um, not anytime soon. I am about to enter my slumber phase and training <laughs> phase of the year where I'm putting my teacher hat off and <laughs> focusing on just Tommy because it's been a heck of a year of inspiring and teaching at conventions all over the country. And so now it's time for a little Tommy talk. But I might be subbing every now and then at steps. So keep your eyes Great. out. Yes, absolutely. Everybody, make sure you keep your eyes peeled if you're in the New York City area and look for Tommy's class at Steps on Broadway. And thank you so much for your support in IDA, being a fantastic judge on our roster, and for joining me on this chat. It's my pleasure. Yay! So before we wrap up, just for all of our listeners out there, don't forget about our fabulous IDA-affiliated competitions. There are tons of them. We just had Starbound join us as well, which is a huge competition with over 60 events in their season. So be sure to see some IDA judges out at events and attend a 2024 scheduled event. We hope to see you there. Shout out to all of our spectacular sponsors, Apollo Performance, Young Arts, Dance Device Lab, Francisco Gala Dance Works as our season five premiere sponsor and Relative Motion Dance. Check all of our sponsors out. Thank you for supporting our podcast. And thank you to all of our Platinum Premium members who are still here with us. I hope you enjoyed this Q&A live. We will be going live again in December for the holidays. 
So can't wait to see you there. And thank you to our community members for joining us on this fabulous Q&A. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye.